You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. Well, good morning. This morning we continue our series first and ten, and we're getting to that one that everybody kind of thinks, well, why is this in here? It just shouldn't be in here because everybody should know that you shouldn't murder. And so today that's what we're going to talk about and think about this idea of what is, why did God put that in there? And one of the questions I want you to kind of think about is who determines the value of your life? Who determines the value of your life? And so that's an important question for you to be able to answer, especially in relation to this topic, you do not murder. And so who decides, determines the value of your life? And so in this, we're going to be thinking about the idea of biblical personhood and what does it mean for someone to be a person and how does God think about you and how does he value you? And then in light of that, how you value other people as well. We live in a culture today that is violence driven. If you turn on the TV, if you watch movies, violence is glorified. As a matter of fact, recent statistics tell us that by the time a student gets into sixth grade, they have seen over 8,000 murders in acts of violence by the time they get to sixth grade. And so there's a Marine psychologist, Lieutenant Grossman. Lieutenant Grossman says that we are training our children to be killers. We are doing the very same thing that the military does to train men to be able to take lives. And so we have, as a culture, allowed some things in. We have lessened the value of personhood for the value of entertainment. And so we have to think through some of the things of what we let in because it does matter because of what comes out on the other end for us. As we say, you take trash in, you will take trash out, right? And so we are a culture of death and of violence. God grants, wants us people to have a right view of individuals. And so one of the things when I was growing up, I grew up in a setting where I was at church all the time. One of the reasons was because my mom worked there. And so anytime there was a day off or teacher, whatever, during the summer, a lot of times I was in the church and I was going around doing all kinds of stuff. And I was the one that was like changing signs and they had flannel grass back in the day and I would do crazy things. I mean, just all kinds of stuff. And so, but one of the things in this entrance into the daycare, into the childcare, there was this, somebody had knitted this little bitty little knit thing that had a picture of a little kid and next to it, it said, I know I'm somebody because God don't make no junk. I know I'm somebody because God don't make, God don't make no junk. Now I know that that's not good proper English, but here's what it tells us. It's a good scriptural principle for us to understand that when God makes us, He did not make a mistake. That when God made us, He made us unique and He made us beautiful creatures and that there's uniqueness about us and sometimes When we look in the mirror and there are things about us that we don't like, those are the very things that God is proudest of. That God created you unique and that he's created you unique because he has a special calling upon your life. One, he's called you to life. Secondly, he calls you to salvation. But then he also, through that calling of salvation, he calls you to a uniqueness because of your personality, because of your skills, because of your talents. How he puts you together, he didn't make junk because he has a special calling that only you can fulfill. And he has a unique desire for you. And so we have a tendency to knock that stuff down and to kind of actually in some ways murder ourselves because we don't like the things that God gave us to mark us as unique. 
Matter of fact, if you were to go to a junior high or high school or even college campus, a lot of times you'll hear this thing of like, hey, I want to be a unique individual. And then you pull up into the campus and you see like 20 unique individuals walking together because they're all dressing uniquely alike. Right. And so we say that we want to be unique, but also at the same time, we want to be valued and have worth and have purpose. And so we want to be a part of a group. And so we see that and younger people in particular, they say, hey, I want to be unique, but they also want to find a place of worth and value. And so I want us to grasp this morning is who determines your worth and value? Who determines how much you're valued and how much you're worth? And how do we see those around us? Because that is what life is about is relationships with God and relationships with our neighbor. In verse 13 of Exodus chapter 20, God tells us this. He says, you must not murder. Now, it sounds pretty simple and easy, but one of the reasons that God gave his people this is because the cultures around him did not have a biblical view of personhood. There were infant side, there were all kinds of different crazy things going on in other cultures around. And so God included this and said, hey, I want you to understand how I see you and how I view you. And one of the things that we understand about God is God created us in his image. And so therefore, he says, do not murder my image. You're my image bearer. So what is murder? There's this wonderful word called lo ratsak. Can you all say that with me? Lo ratsak. Like stuff should be coming out of you whenever you have that CH. It's a real guttural, almost German type thing. It's coming out. And it means to do not premeditative way intentionally take the life of another human being. Now, sometimes this verse says, Somebody will mistranslate and says, you shall not kill. There's actually a difference between murder and killing. And all throughout the Old Testament, God uses specific words for killing that are different from this word. And this word is unique to this sense of you shall not intentionally premeditate and take some another human's life. And we'll discuss why that is and what that means. So what does it mean to murder? It means to intentionally take someone's life, a human life, to premeditate and to take it. Well, what is not murder? Well, one is self-defense. We talk about this quite a bit in the news recently on should we be able to carry or not carry or how should we carry, all those kind of things. What the question really is, is what can we do to defend ourselves? Well, the scripture tells us that if someone harms you or intends to harm you, you can defend yourself, and that is a righteous act in that moment. Also, the scripture says that we have the ability or we should be uh, fulfilling capital punishment. We won't talk a whole lot about that. But what does it mean? It's this idea of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, that there should be proper punishment for the harm that has been done. And so that's why Jesus talks about even the Old Testament. They talk about when someone takes your eye, you have the right legally to take their other eye. You don't take their life. It's about preservation of life, not destruction of life. And the other thing that he talked, that God talks about as far as that we're, there's moments where life will be taken is a just war. Now again, we don't, not gonna get into all the discussions of all the different stuff, but again, those three things, self-defense, capital punishment, and just wars are about the preservation of life, not the destruction of life. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You're gonna pull those things appropriately. Another one that maybe will surprise you is that actually there is murder for accidental death. Now, I don't know how many of you have still have oxen, all right, but this is one of the things back in the day. If your oxen, you had an oxen, and you knew that your ox was not a very nice ox, 
And that whenever your ox got out, it would go to people. It would it's harmed people in the past and has potential for taking someone's life just because your oxen was a naughty oxen. All right. Some of you know, y'all have had naughty, naughty oxen and you know. All right. And so if your oxen, you know that you have a naughty oxen and your oxen gets out of your yard and goes somewhere else and harms or hurts or kills someone, you are responsible for that oxen's actions. So whatever happened to that person based upon what your oxen did is a punishment that you should receive, even to the point of death. So if your oxen got out of your yard and you knew that you had a naughty oxen and it took someone's life, you were responsible. I guarantee you, you would take care of that oxen if you knew what could happen to you. And that was true that day. Again, we're caring for our neighbors. That's a responsibility. I know some of you are thinking about building some new houses and you're tired of having a pitched roof. You want a flat roof. And in the old days, that was the common thing. They would build two, three-story homes, and they would have a flat roof. And guess what happens if you have a flat roof and you have too much wine? You stumble. I've heard. I've seen pictures, okay, of people stumbling. And what happens if you stumble and you're on a third-story roof and there's no railing to protect someone from falling? They can fall and harm themselves. And so here again, not taking proper precautions to protect your neighbor you're providing a fun place, you're having a little party, you're get-together, you're having a little birthday party, and all of a sudden someone falls off, the, party's, the party is over. And so here again, you're responsible for caring for your person, whether it's your oxen or the railing on your fence. The other part of this is that God talks about the sanctity of life, that life is valuable. And so we're, this morning we think about it in three ways. We think about it from the perspective of abortion and suicide and euthanasia. Now, one verse that I want you to grasp is Psalm 139, starting at verse 13 and following. This is a beautiful picture of how God creates life and how he views it. Psalm 139 says this, You made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Now, we even have some little babies in here, and babies are delicate, aren't they? So this image of, of the delicateness and the inner workings, and you can kind of get the view of that, that they are precious but also very fragile. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Sometimes we look in the mirror and we're like, what in the world were you thinking when you made me? Why do I have to spend 45, not me, why do you have to spend 45 minutes in the mirror getting your makeup? You know, I mean, all this different stuff, ladies, I've, I've heard this from some of you, that why do I have to spend an hour to an hour and a half getting ready? And all of your husbands are like, we do not know. But you are wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous, how well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion, as I was woven together in the darkness of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. What is murder? And this idea is that God has wonderfully created each one of us. That he has a passion for you. He knit you together. He made you uniquely. And that in a place where we put a period where God only wants a comma is where God is saying, listen, I am the creator, sustainer, and provider of your life. There's commas in our life. There's moments where there's difficulties in our life. And God wants there to be a comma and not a period. Matter of fact, Wesley Smith wrote a book called The Culture of Death, and he was had done some interviews with some doctors and some different psychologists and stuff. And the discussions that there, some doctors and psychologists are having in our current culture is, what is the value of your life? In other words, how much is it going to cost to sustain life versus doing away with life? 
And so here's a, a consensus, a, a summation of the thoughts of these guys. Killing is beneficent. Suicide is rational. Natural death is undignified and caring properly and compassionately for people who are elderly, prematurely born, disabled, despairing, or dying is a burden that wastes emotional and financial resources. In other words, what is the value of you? Well, let's calculate the cost. We're going to get out our calculators. We're not going to get out and have one-on-one conversations. So what is murder? Even in in, uh, the Netherlands, a social scientist recently said uh, 40 years ago, a people, a nation invaded us and they began to euthanize our old and our young and the feeble. And now 40 years later, we're doing the very same thing that our enemies used to do to us. The thing, the very thing that we fought against. The sanctity of life is this. God is the creator, sustainer, and provider of life. Why do we think that we get to place a period where God wants a comma? I know it's a difficult thought and a difficult conversation for us, but the sanctity of life and to be able to care for our neighbors and care for them is, is a view of understanding of how God views us and that God did not make a mistake. God does not make a mistake with you. And there may be some things that you don't like about yourself and you're in a season of doubting or whatever, that in those moments of taking the scriptural truth and being able to say, hey, listen, God numbered the hair on your heads, and some of you have, may have more than others, but the, the thought is this is that whenever He made you and created you, He had a unique calling and purpose for you. And that in those moments where we are down and out, that's a comma moment and not a moment where there should be a period. So why is murder wrong? This is it. Because God has created life and He's made it holy. Life is a gift for us. And the reason that it's a gift for us because we bear the image of God. We were His image bearers. The scripture calls it imago die. That we are His. We're the only ones in creation that can have a relationship with the Creator. Through Christ, we are sustained. That we can have a peace that passes understanding. Our souls are refreshed in that moment that we say yes to Jesus. The rest of creation longs to be able to do that. And God values human life. And sustains it and provides for it. And we honor God by respecting the image that there are in others. Now, for most of us, we're thinking, hey, I never think about I'm going to murder someone or whatever. There may be those moments where you kind of get angry with someone or whatever, but never to cross that path of, of what it would be to take someone's life. But Jesus adds a little bit more to this for us. And this is kind of where we reside today, is what does it mean to murder? Maybe you've heard this phrase, if looks could kill you ever had that moment where someone gave you a look back and you're like, mm, they're not happy with me? You know what I mean? If you've married for a couple of weeks, you've seen that, right? Okay? If looks could kill. And so here's this idea of if looks could kill, what are the things that we're thinking in our mind? That murder didn't really cross us, but man, we have been angry before. You've heard that our ancestors, Jesus said it this way, you've heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. In other words, you get to go to the court of law. If you call someone an idiot, I know some of you have said that before, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, literally, if you call them a fool, you're in danger of the fires of hell. In other words, Jesus says, listen, most of us don't think about taking someone's life, but we're very casual about how we speak about people. 
That if we say something about someone that degrades their character and someone who hasn't met them walks into this room and they have what we've said about them in their mind, we've already murdered them before someone got to meet them. Those are pretty powerful words. I think for many of us, if not most of us, we've been in a moment where we have been angered. Someone has hurt us, someone has offended us, someone has hurt or offended our children or protecting our children. And what do we do? Anger rises up and we begin to talk about. Here in a town like this, we call it gossip sometimes. We talk about someone, we begin to murder them, we begin to cut them down, we begin to lower them. Jesus says that is calling them a fool and an idiot and you are murdering them and you're murdering their character so that when someone sees them, they think about them differently than being in the image of God. Continues on and he says, do you understand yet? Anything you eat passes through the stomach and then goes to the sewer. But the words you speak come from the heart, for that's what defiles you. We even saw this over the last couple of weeks, that there was a well-known coach who had sent some emails and some of the things that he'd said. He would say, that's not who I really am. But in a moment where he thought, he thought that he was kind of with friends and no one would get it, the thoughts of truly of his, who he was and what he was thinking came out. And this is that passage. That the things of the heart will come out. Maybe sometimes in your home, maybe you had it this is, do you want me to wash your mouth out with soap? You ever had that said to you? Oh, none of you. Okay, that's cool. What happened at my house and at our house with our kids? We were a couple of times where one of the kids, actually probably both of the kids, got a little sassy at times. And um, it's usually the mom. I don't know why it's the mom is the protector of the mouth, but they are. And so the mom will go, hey, I'm going to wash your mouth out with soap. And so one time that happened at our house, and I'm not going to tell you which one it was, but she was really sassy. And so it came out, and she said whatever she said. And she still, whenever this word tries to even come up in her heart, her mouth begins to bubble. I know, because we've talked about it. And so here's the piece. So she said it, and immediately we're like, listen, we've talked about this, and soap was used to teach a principle of guarding your heart. Now, here's a little special tip. You probably want to use the bar, not the squirty stuff, because the squirty stuff, like, you keep bubbling up for a long time. All right? But here's the deal. What you say in the heat of the battle is truly what's sitting in your heart. Because, listen, life is going to happen. And we're going to get under stress. Someone's going to cut you off with a car. Someone's going to hurt your kid or whatever it is. And it's going to trigger anger within you and stuff is going to start to spew. And you can feel it boiling up. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, guard the heart. And the way that we guard the heart is by not letting some of that stuff in so that it doesn't come out in those moments of stress. One of the reasons this happened is because we're just we're apathetic. Even you see that in the story of the Good Samaritan, the Good Samaritan is a young man who was a, uh, kind of on the outside of society and culture. And someone had beaten, beaten up, and two religious people, the people that should have been helpers, looked at the man and walked by and didn't help. But the Good Samaritan stepped in and helped, helped solve the situation. Many of us have opportunities where we know someone's saying something about someone else, and we can step in and say, hey, we're not going to say that. Hey, we're not going to deal with that. Let's, let's honor this person. Let's, what would you want them to say about you when you were not here? And that is for us. We get apathetic or we're afraid of what our friends are going to say about us. 
one of the things that we need to be able to do is to be able to adult and to be followers of Christ. And there are moments where people hurt our feelings and talk about us behind our back. Instead of talking about us, come to us. Because there are times where we hurt people and we don't even know we've hurt you. And you're off talking and you're doing all kinds of different stuff. And the adult thing that you need to do is you need to come to us and say, hey, I am hurt. And here's why I'm hurt. And this is so that we don't murder each other, but we talk to one another and we adult together and we disciple together and we learn together that, hey, something that I said or the way that I said it hurt you. And we need to deal with this because we are created in the image of God. And we care for one another and we desire to see people get closer to Christ. Again, remember, the overall purpose for the Ten Commandments is not to check off rules. It's to push us in a path to look and to know and to act and to think more like Jesus. And to be able to do that is for us, instead of talking about one another, is to talk to each other. And think about even your conversations this week or these past few weeks. How many times would it have been solved if we would go talk to someone and actually work through the issues of what's happening than rather than go to everyone else and to talk about them? Murder sometimes hurts more when it comes from the mouth. Now, obviously, many of us are never thinking about crossing the path of hurting someone physically, but we're so quick with our words. So Jesus and murder, God wants us to honor each other by the way that we honor Jesus by the way that we honor one another. As a matter of fact, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 16, Jesus says to lay down our lives for another one. To lay down. Sometimes it's best just to listen and, and to, be, to be harmed sometimes instead of going out and hurting other people. Command number six says this. Respect human life. Respect others because they are created unique in the image of God. And one of the reasons that we get into arguments and fights and we get angry is because we don't understand the uniqueness of the other person. Get into their shoes, walk in their shoes, and live with them for a little bit and understand who they are and how God's created them. Let's pray together. Dear Holy Father, you have made us unique. And you don't make junk. Father, we thank you that when you view us and you see us, that you cannot count the ways of how much you enjoy your children. They're innumerable. Father, I pray for us as we look in the mirror in these coming days that we see us how you see us. That we put your mirror up in front of us instead of ours or the culture's. And Father, that we see that you don't make junk and that you see us as beautiful, unique creations and children of yours. Father, I pray that you would give us your eyes for our neighbors and our friends. and our So we see them the way that you see them. That instead of talking about them, we would weep over them. That instead of talking bad about them, that we would talk to them. Father, I pray that you would begin and continue to transform our hearts and our minds about ourselves and how you view us, but also about how you view our neighbors. For it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Cross Point Community Church podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. 
For more about Crosspoint Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.